Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at how we make decisions and how will we do it in the future to deal with some of these pressing problems that we have today, such as empowering women, climate change, the sixth extinction, systemic racism, just on across the board. My guest today has some really unique ideas. Mr. Tom Blattner is the founder and president of Janus Solutions, and he is the co-founder and president of the Family Success Institute. Mr. Tom Blattner, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you so much, Bill. It's very, very good to be here. Well, Tom, thanks. Good to see you again, as always. And let's jump right into it. We've got some heady issues to deal with today. Uh, one thing I was curious about, though, Janus is the name of your solution, well, your company, Janus Solutions. And of course, Janus was depicted as the Roman god with two faces. How did you come up with that title? I'm just curious. Or how did you pick that name? Well, um, Janus um, was my mother's favorite Roman god. Uh, and so I adopted it in, in her honor. And she uh, taught me the idea of um, we have to find ways to get through difficult times. And Janus was the god, Roman god of how do, you, how do we make transitions through difficult times. And January was actually named after Janus because in ancient times, people were afraid that the sun was going to disappear and not come up again. So Janus was the god that helped them through. But the other, the other aspect of this, which has been very um, important for our work, is mm -hmm. that the two faces, and people sort of laughed about the two faces, but the idea behind the two faces is that one looks backward and tries to learn from history and experiences that humankind has had, and the other one looks forward to try to gaze into the future and see what kinds of challenges we're going to face and bring both to bear on the present. And that's what we try to do. And the solutions part of it is that we're not interested in problems. We're interested in finding action that could be helpful. That's very true. That's what we need to do. <laughs> exactly. Well, it sounds like a very logical approach to take. Well, let's talk a little bit about decision-making and that type of thing. Now, you're involved in a Communities of the Future project with our colleague, Rick Smyer and you're working on a variety of things. What is the purpose of this Communities of the Future project? And we'll bring in a few of the, a few of the jar, a bit of the jargon and a few of the terms shortly. Well, the, the idea of the Communities of the Future and, and Rick Smyer really is the, you know, has been the, the leader of this, this uh, effort is to try to bring people together from different places around the, the, the country and hopefully around the world, um, your UN connection and, and identify people who are working in the present, but with an eye to what are the conditions that are going to impact quality of life in the future and what are some of the efforts and skills and um, attitudes and decisions that are gonna to have to be made if we're gonna have a better future than it appears we might be headed for. 
-hmm. And you mentioned the, the tools and one that you're bringing into this whole discussion, I think sort of a linchpin of your contribution is a community needs assessment. What is that community needs assessment and how are you using it now and how will you use it in this project? Well, one, one of the biggest uh, challenges I think that we face is that we don't have methods to look at the big picture of what's going on in communities. And we don't have ways of bringing people who are um, living in communities impacted by the decisions of people on high or the trends that are happening without um, any kind of intervention. So we've developed a method of community needs assessments, we call them, and we've done them in a number of communities in my home state of New Jersey, um, where we've developed a framework that basically says, what are the conditions that need to be in place in communities for people to have the best chance of raising their children to have a good life? Pretty straightforward. Um, and then we go about conducting these needs assessments by gathering uh, data from all different sources and putting them into this framework. And just to mention the framework is, what are the conditions? Family relationships and community connections, um, safety and financial security, and safety is defined not only personal safety, but also environmental safety, virtual safety, all the things that produce people feeling secure, um, good health and well-being, and lifelong learning and education. And so, we take these four areas and collect a lot of data around a particular community. But the most important part of it is we gather um, people from all different aspects of community life together to work with us and review the data, uh, reach out to their communities and talk about what their experiences are, and then come up with um, a set of issues and recommendations that they can move ahead to the future together to try to make a difference. Now, in the past, so often we've, we've uh, as we went into our decision-making processes, we think of a, just sort of a project leader, sort of a traditional approach to how we've encountered these problems and how we've sort of mobilized and created the hierarchy or the structure uh, to deal, as we used to say, to plan in this. But today you're using a new concepts. Uh, one that comes to mind is this master, uh, the master capacity builder. Yes. What exactly is that and how does that tie into what you were talking about with your needs assessment? Well, it's, it's interesting, Bill, that you mentioned plans because the, you know, the traditional way of doing planning is linear and it's long term and that there's a succession to it. And with the way that things are today, that the, cha you know, the changes are so profound and so fast that by the time you get through a traditional planning process, it's already obsolete. So that the idea of moving from strategic planning to adaptive planning that's much more dynamic is behind some of this thinking. So in order to do a needs assessment in a community, which is both getting information together, but more importantly, gathering people who normally don't talk to one another together and come up with you know, visions of better futures and, and enact them, it, it, it's not a project manager. It's, it's, it's a, a master capacity builder has, has the ability to bring all these different forces together and factors together and adopt to the, the situations that present themselves. And usually it's, it, 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 you know, what used to be either or is usually yes and as well. And so a master capacity builder has to take science, art, music, magic, and create um, sort of catalytic change. 
that's different than a project manager who's task oriented and linear. I would imagine too, that this person would have to react very quickly, would have to be very adaptable, have to be flexible, couldn't be set on a certain course and say, that's going to be it. We're going to stay there for the next six months or whatever the case is. Is that that's accurate? That's a thing that's completely accurate. And um, also the you know, master capacity builder has to be an incredibly humble listener because of so much, so many of our issues have to do with people, you know, on high thinking they have answers. And then we find out 30 years later that what we thought were answers are actually turned into obstacles for future success. So yeah, very much so in terms of being able, and then in terms of reacting, I mean, who would have thought a year ago that we would be in a pandemic. So we, we've worked with our communities who were in the midst of planning for their futures before the pandemic and have had to adopt quickly. And so, yes, the, the, a master capacity builder has to be comfortable with impermanence and change. And I'm glad you miss, mentioned to be a listener, a good listener, because that's one of the things that Toastmasters stresses all the time. Not only do you need to be a good communicator, a good leader, but you have to be a good listener. Because if you don't, you're missing one third of the of the equation that you need to be successful. Yes. So we do all need to listen. That's yeah. for sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make just one quick comment about that uh, because sure. it's so interesting. Because you you know you, the idea of good listening is something that you know is taught in business schools and marketing, and it's and it's thought of as a technique. But the other part of good listening is being an honest learner. Because it's you know you see people now almost acting out being good listeners, but if they can't be humble enough to learn from what they're hearing, what's the point of listening? Exactly, that's very true. Yes. Well, one term that you've used or one of your ideas or concepts is the family success platform. What exactly is that, and how does it tie into what we're talking about up to this point? Well, basically, what we've what we've tried to do is use. Um, kids living in families in their communities and what kind of quality of life do they have now and what kind of quality of life do they aspire to and what quality of life might they have in the future as a way to talk about um, big issues and small issues. So this family success framework is looking at um, individuals in the context of their families, their families in the context of their communities. And as I mentioned, looking at those four pillars that we call them of uh, family relationships, community connections, uh, safety, financial security, et cetera. Um, and then the second tenet of, of this family success framework is to both to get better information, but to also fight this horrendous problem of alienation, that people feel like they have no control over anything that's happening to them anymore, is to, is to bring people into the, in the community into power building and, and decision-making in a way that they have not experienced in the past. And then the final component of our, of our strategy is, because we've done a lot of analyses of, of budgets. We, we did a big analysis of the New Jersey state budget. And we spent 90% we spend of our budget, which is billions of dollars on picking up the pieces of shattered lives. And we spend 10% on investing in those things that might be helpful in the first place. So our third mantra is, invest in success, divest from distress. And when we're able to talk to communities in an honest, undefended way about this, um, some pretty magical things happen. 
Now we're talking, what, what you're describing basically is taking place in the state of New Jersey in the United States. It could be in Trenton, it could be wherever in New Jersey, but it can also, these problems and these solutions are applicable in Rome, Quito, Manila. It doesn't matter where it is around the world. They're, these are local problems, but they're international problems to a large degree, are they not? Absolutely, and I, you know, I, I've had the benefit of traveling you know, most places in the world and one of the reasons that we came up with this um, look, looking at quality of life for families is that, you know, no matter where you're born, you know, kids are born, they go through developmental stages, they go through the stages of their life, and eventually, you know, everybody faces the end of their life. And one of the, one of the major uh, goals that we have, which we, and we recently have had uh, legislation introduced into the New Jersey Assembly and, and Senate, is to build upon the, the work that the UN did around what are the rights of children? What do children need to have a decent chance at a good life? So we adopted that. Um, our Senator, uh, Cory Booker, when he was mayor, uh, adopted a Bill of Rights for Children, Youth and Families in the city of Newark and it became a rallying cry there. Uh, and now we have a, the state legislature, legislature considering a Bill of Rights so that we can move from privilege for some to rights for all. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps you're with an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer and you like our shows and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at really how we decide on how to deal with some of these critical problems that we're looking at, such as systemic racism, climate change, and just on across the board. My guest is an expert in this area. Mr. Tom Blattner is the founder and president of Janus Solutions and the co-founder and president of the Family Success Institute. Tom, I'm so glad that you mentioned about, we were talking about the international linkages and of course the convention of the, uh, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child was is a very important international convention. It was uh, adopted, I think, around 1988, 1989, something like that. What talk a little bit about that? What how do you bring that into uh, your day-to-day -day activities and how you are dealing with the problems of many of the youth in New Jersey and how does this apply to them? Well, well, um, I'm glad I'm glad you asked that question, Bill, because as we've talked. Um, when it was, I think it, the last time we talked, it was the United States and Somalia were the only two countries in the UN who hadn't, you know, ratified this treaty, and now we're the only ones. And so it's um, what we what we've looked at is are, are one of the basic conditions that anybody needs to have a chance at a good life, and that they, they, those basic conditions ought to become rights. And in our country, there are people who have all the resources that they need to raise their kids and, and then some, and then there are many families and communities that don't have them. And so we have, a, we have this growing gap between the privileged people who have the resources to raise their kids and 
the people who don't have the resources. So the idea of a bill of rights is, um, is to level the, the playing field. And New Jersey is either perpetually either the first or the second uh, highest per capita income in the country, in the richest country that we've ever known. And we honestly believe that everybody should have the basic things that they need to have a good chance at life. And interestingly, um, the first, and, and we, we, we derive this not only from the, treat, the UN treaty and the work in, in Newark, but in, we went to Camden, New Jersey, which is this wonderful city uh, with a lot of people who have a lot of needs. And it was the kids who came up with our first plank of the Bill of Rights, which was, if we don't have safe water, safe air and safe earth, we might as well not talk about the other things because we're not gonna be here. Wisdom from these kids in, in, in Camden, which we're hoping to make law in New Jersey. The children sound like they're ahead of the curve because many okay. adults have not come to that conclusion, but they're, the kids are right. They are, <laughs> they right. are right on target. There's no doubt about it. So I, I won't go into the convention on uh, the, the child, but it was a very important convention. And I remember the debate has died away because the US Senate, again, has not taken action. It's atrophied. This convention's atrophying in the US Senate, but there were two major complaints. And I'm trying to remember, one was it said that the children, if we adopted it, that the children's rights would precede those of the parents, which is totally bogus. And I can't remember what the other one is, but this is something the United States Senate needs to take up because all of these other countries, the other 192 countries, at the UN are certainly, they have not ceded their rights to their children and they have signed on to this document and life goes on and they're all doing well. So it's just a bogus argument that many of the people who don't understand these conventions and who really dislike the UN at times come up with. But but anyway, we could spend a whole hour on that or more, I'm sure. Well, let's let talk, me, I could go right ahead. Yeah, let me, let me comment on that because mm -hmm. the reason we called our movement family success is because, you know, pe people seem to be comfortable with talking about child poverty and children's rights and everything. But I, you know, the, the issue is whether families have the resources and the power to raise their kids. So we, we have purposely called this a bill of rights for children, youth and families, and it brings parents right into this with their kids. And the Family Success Institute is a movement to um, support and improve the quality of life for families living in communities. Well, Tom, you mentioned about how the children were astute enough to identify that if they didn't have a safe planet, if they didn't have a habitable planet, then the game is over. There's no place else to go. There is, there is no backup, no planet B, so to speak. Let's talk about climate change and we'll talk about the sixth extinction and then we'll move into some other areas if we have time. But how do, how do you bring this whole discussion of climate change, which is now we're, we're describing it as climate crisis. It's no longer climate change. That, those days are behind us. The scientific evidence is overwhelming, but how, how do you bring that into the discussion with the young people? Well, I, and, and I think that, you know, the, the example that those kids in Camden um, gave is it shows how sophisticated they are. But, and the reason that we have started at the very, very local level and have, have structured a way of thinking about the quality of life in the future is that the quality of life in this world, this global um, interconnection of, of uh, phenomena, um, all these things are gonna impact the quality of life in families and different communities around the world. 
So whether it's climate, the climate crisis, or the, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about the, the um, unbelievably fast reduction in the number of species in the world, both, and if you look at what's happening in the rainforests and, you know, cattle farms replacing the, you know, the, the you know, the critical, uh, you know, forest structures, et cetera. But then if you look at the increase in really, really, really wealthy people and the, you know, increase in, in people who are really struggling and inequities uh, and tie them into what's happening with the climate. And then if you look at the pandemic, which as I said, who could have imagined that would happen? And then you look at Black Lives Matter and, and you know, the, our, our original sins in this country of uh, essentially destroying indigenous people and uh, bringing slaves to this country. All of these things are interconnected uh, and they, are, they impact quality of life for families and communities. So it's impossible not to look at them holistically and it's also impossible not to look at them globally because they all impact everyone. They certainly do. And as we, we've seen with the, the, this whole climate crisis situation, this is creating, a, it's tied in to everything that you mentioned and much, much more in what we see climate migrants, people who are forced to flee areas because the weather has changed. They can't produce crops. They can't have cattle. They die or whatever. They don't have water. We see mega droughts taking place. The Southwest of the United States has been in a mega drought for decades now, and it's not getting any better. But these are all tied into what's often called the sixth extinction. How about a little background? Don't go through all the five extinctions. We had, we had five extinctions, according to the scientists, did we not? Now we're into the sixth. We're, we're, and I, you know, the more that I sort of think about this and, and talk to other people about it and try to learn about it, I think we're well into the sixth extinction. And the, the previous uh, extinctions were caused by external events or phenomena. And what's so challenging, and I think it's even become more challenging in the last four years, is that we are, we're eating ourselves. The, the, the sixth extinction is caused by supposedly the most intelligent form of life on the planet. And whether it's climate change or these disparities and the health issues and all these kinds of things, um, we, we are in the, we are in well in the midst of consuming ourselves into extinction. Tom, what can we do as you look at the, the various tools you have in your toolkit, you look at the models that are out there, you look at this discussion uh, that you're having as far as master capacity builders, that type of thing. What can we do? Uh, just a few suggestions on how to maybe slow down. We're not going to stop climate, climate crisis, that's for sure. It's, it's on steroids now, but are there some suggestions as to what we can do better than what we're doing now? Yeah, I, I think, um, and, we, and we talked about this the last time that we were together, but I think the biggest challenge right now is how can we find safe ways for people who right now can't even get in the same room together to talk about these things and somehow break through the denial because this, it, it, it's really indisputable that these things are happening. And, you know, the natural, it's almost like, you know, when people are born, they don't want to face the fact that we're going to die. We, we are as a planet in the midst of a, of a not so slow death. And it's almost impossible to get people together and talk about them in a safe way. And that, that gets to the master capacity builder idea 
that you know there there are, there are no more rights or wrongs or you know you're this ideology excuse the expression trumps that ideology or whatever you know whatever we, we if if we can't find ways to see the facts as facts and come together to start learning how together we can mobilize whether it's at the community level or at the UN level to start taking some of these things on we are simply not going to survive that's exactly right. And we have to use the United Nations. It's still the only game in town that brings the 193 countries of the world together. And only by working together can we slow down this climate change disaster, create clean energy, uh, hopefully eradicate income inequality, hopefully get a rational discussion going, which we could go into the media now, but that would take another half hour. And unfortunately, we're just about out of time. But let me ask you in the last 30 seconds we have, what do you see as our major challenge as we move forward? Well, I think unfortunately, because I, I think that, um, you know, five years ago, we were beginning to see people coming together, you know, whether it's the, you know, the environmental treaties or the, you know, what our, our dialogue and agreements with Iran, we were beginning to forge um, solutions that were uh, from a, a variety of points of view. And unfortunately, in the last four years, I, I, you know, I fear that our biggest challenge is our inability to come together. And the last four years, um, uh, you know, and I'm talking about President Trump, but I, I don't think, I think President Trump would not have been successful if the seeds for conflict and division and hatred weren't already there. And if we think that those are the elements to secure our future, we are out of our minds. We need, so I think that our biggest challenge is how can we learn to come together and respect one another and excuse the expression, love one another uh, and begin to solve these problems together. And to me, that's the biggest challenge and I, I know just from our experience in some of the, you know, the communities that we're working with in New Jersey, when that phenomenon begins to happen, um, almost, almost anything positive can come out of it. Tom Blattner, that was a very sobering and a very accurate analysis and great suggestions on what we need to do and the sooner the better. And that's, that's a good missive for a large part of our media who have fallen asleep at the switch on this and are really they're, they're egging people on. They're not providing information. They're just part of the team, team, whatever. But Tom Blattner, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Bill. Tom, thanks again. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.